Welcome to Total Wine and More. I'm firing up the grill for burgers and want to impress the neighbors. You'll love this Cabernet with your burgers. Wow, great price. Find what you love, love what you find. At Total Wine and More, drink responsibly, P21. Do you know what people see when they Google you? Search engines don't always get it right. And when they're wrong, it's your reputation on the line. So what do you do when you don't agree with your search results? Call Reputation Defender at 855-432-4905. Reputation Defender is one of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. We have over a decade of experience in fixing people's search results, and we can help you too. Using cutting-edge approaches, Reputation Defender pushes unflattering information down to lower pages of your search results, where few people ever look. We also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, letting you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. You owe it to yourself to take control with Reputation Defender. Visit www.reputationdefender.com or call 855-432-4905 for free advice on your situation. That's 855-432-4905. Hi, this is Jim the Keys bartender. This isn't the normal episode. I I didn't want to number it. And I don't want you don't have to you don't have to do anything actually. If if you're looking for something funny today, this is not the episode to listen to. I am not this is not a uh, a call for help. I am I am fine. I, w- I just wanted to talk about things that I never get a chance to talk to about or talk about something that I never get a chance to talk about. So just like when you're in a close call in a, let's say, car accident, you're driving down a road and you just miss you know, a life-threatening situation. For a while, you just focus on driving safety and you get concerned about your loved ones and things like that. Well, just this past week, and I didn't know how to broach the subject, a young man who goes to my daughter's high school and he went to her middle school and we're a small community down here. And I remember seeing this child uh, while he was a young man when he took his life. I, I, I saw him as a young man, a, a child when he they were in grade school and I seen him grow up and he seemed very nice, polite, friendly young man. And I'm not going to focus on what happened or why he did it. I just wanted to talk about how we talk about these things. I mean, death is a hard thing to talk about when it's really closest to you. And this isn't, subjectively, this isn't close to me because my daughter didn't have daily interactions. She knew who he was. I mean, she went to a small school under 100 students. But it is... Whenever there's a suicide, 
And that's what it is. And when you call it taking a life in, in a young person, the community gets concerned because of how it's perceived. How young people seem to get lessons from the behavior of other people. A couple years ago, uh, I think it was two years ago, right before or during the beginning of the pandemic, a young man my daughter was closer to was murdered by his brother. And uh, the brother tried to commit suicide after we knew both the both of the young men. And there were only two boys in the family and the father and mother were devastated. And not, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's incomprehensible almost to try to conceive what that feels like. I don't have the immediate experience, but I do have the empathy for it. It doesn't make me an expert. It doesn't make me an expert at all, but I do believe that it's good to talk about things instead of sweeping them under because the kids will talk about it. The kids definitely will talk about it, and we don't have a seat at that table for the discussion with young people that are close to you, and that's children or nieces, nephews, family, friends. If we don't have we don't have a seat at that table to have a discussion, then we'll never... You know, some sometimes it's too late. And people say, well, it really doesn't matter because you could talk to them till you're blue in the face. Kids are going to do what they're going to do. People are going to do what they're going to do, whether they're kids or adults, right? They have suicide hotlines and they just occur and we talk about it all the time. People, and it's probably, it could be worse. I don't know the statistics, but I know... They talk about young people, and there was a new statistic about young African-American women having a very high rate of suicides and veterans and certain occupations and things like that. And it's just hard things to talk about. And people say, well, the effectiveness, it really hasn't changed. The, it hasn't changed the landscape of things that occur, and they're still occurring. Today, I did read about CPR. Now, this is relatable one way. Uh, It was a story of a woman who was technically dead for 45 minutes. They were performing CPR. So that, I don't know the exact things, but it's, it's, if you do a search, you'll find this story. And they were able to revive her, bring her back, when they said she was clinically They were clinically able to pronounce her dead for 45 minutes, but they continued to do CPR. And then he said, the success rate for CPR is around 11%, 10.9%, I think if I I recall correctly. It was a lot lower than I thought. And I thought that was interesting because I have to go in for my quarterly training for uh, CPR. They're doing it at at the health system that I work at. They do it quarterly. And I think that's great. And people say, 11%, why the hell even do it if it's 11%? Well, that 11% is, you know, if you talk about 100,000 people, 
that's 10,000 people. So that's something. It's low. Yes, it's low, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything about it. It's like the, a ship going down. If you only have a, a boat for, you know, you have 2,000 people on, the, uh, on a on an ocean liner, and they, and they only have enough room for 2,200 people. You're still going to save those 200 people. I know. And then you're going to argue who are the ones you're going to save and who are not. Well, you try to save all of them. You try to save all of them. And that's what I believe the discussion should be for suicide prevention. And the news, because news is what it is, there's... News is, is generally things that occur that are negative because that attracts the most listeners. And news is a for-profit business in the, in the United States, at least. In a lot of places, they could be the state-run media. They may just only do good stories. Like if you're in North Korea, the negative stories will be about everything that happens outside the country and the positive stories is everything occurring inside, which... To a point, people say, well, that sounds great. They're just doing positive positive stories. Well, when you just do positive stories, you ignore it. Like if we did that in the United States and didn't talk about the wildfires in California, people wouldn't know that's a problem. And they should be careful about doing outside campfires and things like that. It's, there's a balance to things in life. And... That's why you you got to be careful on what you focus on. And I'm not necessarily... But right now, I'm focusing on suicide in young people. And when I say young people, children, even young adults, even older, I mean older, but they're, they're, I believe, and yes... Take it with a grain of salt. I am not an expert. I'm a 58-year-old man. But I've known a lot of people that have been the victim. What do you call a victim if you do it yourself? But they, they committed suicide. One particular one was a the woman I was married to at one time prior to being married but we had known each other we had dated earlier and then we got together later but in between then her brother who was in his 20s ended up getting engaged to his obviously his then fiance and when that engagement broke off to boil it down it's not a simple thing it's a horrible thing but he he got in depth of depression and he ended up murdering his ex-fiance and then killing himself. <clears throat> and I believe it's, it was tied together. It does not alleviate him of the, the wrongness of the murder of his ex-fiance, but the thinking process that leads you to decide that that's an option is part of the dealing with the situation. 
And when I heard about it, and I heard about it firsthand, I heard about it at the funeral luncheon, because I was working at the catering hall where they were handling the luncheon for the young man who had murdered his fiance. And it was incomprehensible to the family why he would do something to someone that a week before he was so, you know, on, on the surface, totally, apparently, completely in love with. And they couldn't understand or explain it. And then you see all these other things that occur with young people that people have a tendency to say, why would you, they do something like this when their life is so full of promise? They got the whole life ahead of them. If it, it was over a relationship, over a hardship, who knows? It could be a physical problem, an ailment, a disease. A family situation could be abuse. But it's easy to be able to be in the mindset that says that young people, their problems aren't the same as adults. Or someone's problem is not the same as your problems. Or these people are going through so much. Why? Why did they do this? If you think about it, I don't know in these third world countries if they do maintain statistics for suicide. But when people have a daily grind of maintaining their food sources, access to clean water, sanitation, housing, worrying about perhaps warlords coming in and attacking a village and stealing everything, that maybe they don't have the free time to think about depression and do you know doing these things. Maybe they don't have that. And it's usually in these more advanced countries where suicide is more let's say considered or quantified. People are counting them. And then when you talk to someone from a country, let's say like Ethiopia, that's currently going through a famine and a civil war, let's say. And they say, well, why are these people in Sweden, in the U.S., in Russia, committing suicide? They don't have people coming into their village, stealing their food, raping their women, kidnapping their children. And inducting them into their, you know, their their militias. Why do these people feel the need to have to kill themselves when their problems aren't that big? Your problem is as big as your mind allows it to be. And yes, there are real problems. There are real problems people have. Physical ailments that are incredible. Incredible, horrible things. I met a person that was having, they were having some type of celebratory party for someone, a woman, who had just gotten her doctorate. But she had some rare disorder that eventually her organs were calcifying, hardening, 
and it would eventually lead to death. And her prognosis was only a couple of years, but they were having this celebration for her accomplishment to bring people around just to see her and to make the most out of the time they have with her. And there's other horrible things, obviously, people that are victims of sexual abuse, uh, veterans with PTSD, people homeless, starving, love loss. People get in romantic relationships and when they, they break up, they, they're so invested in that relationship that when it seems to break down, you build your whole life around it. That there is no further plan for life or happiness. People can't see it. Their mind has been, it's almost like a groove in a record. And they said, well, they can't get out of that groove to see that, take a look at their life and say, well, all I have to do is continue another day and eventually things will get better. They hear, don't worry, things will get better. The immediacy of depression is exactly that. It's immediate. It's happening now. And there's no, for some people, there is no horizon. There's no end game. There's no finishing line. It just keeps on moving for them. keeps on moving and it's for, very easy to think that with children they don't have the the life experience to make that decision and should it be a decision to take your own life in the tradition I was raised in the Catholic Church maybe it was such a problem that they made it a mortal sin that if you took your life you were going to be shut completely out ostracized from the grace of God for all eternity. So obviously, at some time, suicide must have been an issue. But if you think about historically about that, and I don't want to go into depth of it, but the way women were treated, the way peasants lived, the way people were, and it, it was a caste system in the early days of the Christian world, and people just probably saw that maybe this life of suffering isn't for me and I don't really believe the rest of it. And that penalty, say, listen, we can't do anything to stop you from doing this, but we can tell you that God will never talk to you again. And you'll go to hell and you'll never be buried in the cemetery and your children will be, you know, they'll have that, Scarlet letter, that mark against them, that the parent, their, their child of suicide. This idea not talking about suicide, it was a long thing. If you've seen the 50s, they don't really talk about it in the movies sometimes. They kind of make it a taboo subject. And, and yes, nowadays we can talk about it. We even have names in movies, Suicide Squad, because, you know, obviously they're going on certain mission at certain death. You know, it's a... Just, we use it all the time. There were suicide doors on cars. 
suicide doors used to open forward on the car. And they said, you know, if you really wanted to jump out, you're jumping at forward out of the car. I know it's kind of gruesome. And frankly, I'm depressed talking about this and say, why would you talk about it? Well, I wanted to talk about it because I do the podcast. I want to, I want to entertain, but after five years, I've had a certain amount of listeners and I know that I don't always get the chance to talk to them directly. And my audience is my muse. And I try to think about what they'd like to hear. And that's when I talk about the keys and all that stuff. But also, sometimes you need to talk to people about things they don't want to hear. And they say, you know, I hear this all the time. I, I really don't know why you're talking about it. And I said, well, I have, a, I have my thoughts on it. And I thought, just like the 10%... Success rate for CPR. Maybe mine, my talk could be 10%. If you can save only 10%, think of Abraham. When the angels come to stay with Abraham, if you know the Old Testament somewhat, some angels come and visit Abraham on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were sent there on a mission from God because they heard about how horrible Sodom and Gomorrah was. And they were going to destroy the city. And Abraham poses a question. If you're going to destroy everyone in the city, what? there are good people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Will you destroy it? And they kept on mentioning numbers. And he said, no, we won't destroy it if there's you know, one good, you know, or they won't destroy that person. But the gist of the story was not showing, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So there are good things out there. And one of the things I always thought was education. And experience leads people to really be able to weather storms sometimes. And I have a lot of, it's very tough for someone that was been in one, let's say one relationship. One relationship. That relationship breaks up and they invest a lot of feeling into it. They may think that's the only relationship there was for them. And they do not think of the world. And they're not open to the world. They're not open to a new relationship in their, in the, in their minds and their hearts. And they can't think of it, you know, they can't mentally conceive that there's a possibility of another relationship just as deep, just as passionate as that other one. And I'm just picking that as a notion, that one notion, if there's a reason for suicide. Another one could be if someone's having physical problems, that they may not be able to conceive that there is still a reason to live. And I'm not suggesting it's another issue when people are suffering so much pain at the end of life. That that's a different issue. I don't wouldn't consider that. I think they should call it something other than patient assistant, uh, doctor assisted suicide. But there are you no. Know, there's way of alleviating pain. We do it for animals. 
but we don't want to do it for people. I think part of it is because we invest too much feeling in them and stuff like that, and that we're sometimes is a selfish reason we keep people living when they're not experiencing a positive quality of life at all. It's a total suffering. And maybe if someone, if they're aware and they're able to to say that they want to stay around for that, then that's another issue also. But talk about experience. Experience um, a, a sexual abuse survivor. If all they experience is horrible sexual abuse, violence, their whole life, it's hard for them to experience life without that. And that there is a positive relationship. And there isn't a life filled with physical abuse or homelessness or, or anything like that. So that experience allows people to say, I remember a time when I was, I've been in love many times. Many times. And so at that point, you go and say, wow, I, I know I can weather this. It's horrible. It sucks. It's bad. I'm sad. My relationship broke up. I don't, I don't mean to take it lightly. I mean, even people that have had that experience sometimes think this is, well, this is different. It's different so, for some way. That's where empathy comes along. Empathizing. Being able to feel someone else's, or being able to relate to someone else's feelings, their pain, their suffering, to be able to appreciate that they're going through something difficult, arms you against that occurring to you. I remember when this happened to my cousin, let's say, for example, I'm just making this up. This happened to my cousin, and they made it through. And I felt so bad for them. And they're happy now. They're happy now. And people have survived horrible things. And you can, and if you have empathy, you're able to go through that. You're able to go outside yourself. Being able to go outside yourself is another tether to tying yourself to this world. If you're able to empathize with your your loved ones. Even when they're angry with you, they wouldn't want you dead. And if you love your family and you care about them, you necessarily wouldn't do that. That's another tie to keeping you from doing the most unthinkable thing. Committing suicide. Empathizing with your family, your friends, the people that love you. The people have yet to meet you and love you. It's very important. Empathy sucks sometimes because you can feel sad. That's why you shouldn't watch the news all the time. You see all this suffering. Sometimes people internalize it and think the world is only suffering. (coughs) But we're fortunate in this society that if we're able to take off the blinders that get outside yourself, that you can look when the worst things happen in the world, you can look around you if you're able to take those blinders out and see other people are happy. They're not happy in spite of you. They're happy because of their, they are happy. So you don't internalize it and say, they're happy, that could be me. 
So the empathy thing could be a negative and a positive. So you should always try to push that positive when you're feeling kind of depressed and say, well, there's a way. I've been that way before. Or empathy for your future self even. Right? And say, why would I do this to myself? I may have another relationship in me. Why would I do this stuff? I may see my, my daughter have some great accomplishments and things like that. Yeah, we're going through a tough time now, but we're going we're gonna to get through that. And people have been through horrible things and done it and empath, empathizing and feeling that and internalizing the good could be a way to fortify that. And lastly, and I... I become a preacher about this. It's resilience. It's a mental, psychological. Mental and psychological are different, okay? And spiritual. So mentally, you can accept. You can just read stories and say, well, this happened to this person and they survived with a high-quality life. And this person and this person, and you accept it. And you accept it in your life that mentally you accept that, yes, I can be happy. Now, psychologically accepting is the feeling, is hope. That you have hope. And some people say, well, you only can do that with God and stuff like that. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. When I get to the last thing, it doesn't have to be just with God. So the psychological thing could be separate from that. And spiritual is the hope of, I guess it's a combination of mental and psychological. If you're a straight believer in the Bible or Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam, Wiccan, Scientology, you have all those things as hope. Now, I have a feeling that sometimes those things could be relied on too much, right? Because it's almost like a, a penalty stage where you say, if you do belong to it, you say, you can't do that because God won't like it. She should spiritually say, in, in the thing, God loves you and doesn't want you to do this because he loves you. And that's it. Or the universe. You're part of the universe. You come from the you come from the heart of stars. All the atoms make you were created billions of years ago. And you are an expression of the universe. Your consciousness experiencing the universe. It's kind of deep thought, but you are an expression of the universe. Each person, an individual. Now, what happens afterwards, whether you continue on, you reincarnate, you go to Valhalla, heaven, whatever other place, the the Mormon place where you go to another planet and you're, you're the head of the planet and you start your own thing, whatever, you know what? If that's the last straw that has to hold you back, then that's a good one too. Anything that maintains that life, as long as it doesn't promote suffering, 
in other people. But the resilience part is being able to use all those things, experience, empathy, be able to project and say, listen, I feel this way now. I'm not going to feel that way always. You know, if you're going through a tough time, your body goes through cycles. I mean, Stephen Hawkins, I'm going to bring in Stephen Hawkins. He was a brilliant young student when he started, I don't know if he was already a professor when he started getting the debilitating disease that eventually took his life. But for years, he continued on. And he was able, he, he did it with humor. He did it with humor. Stephen Hawkins, the astrophysicist. He postulated ideas they're still considering today. Years ago. Had relationships, even though he was paralyzed. Mostly. I think he only uses his hand to communicate with people and communicate his ideas. He had a body that would not cooperate with him. Couldn't even see his expressions. But he was able to still communicate his ideas, come up with new theories, and back it up. I mean, everyone has a theory. I obviously, this is my theory about experience, empathy, and resilience. But much like CPR, if that has a 10% chance or a 1% chance or less, if it saves one person, it's worth it. It's one thing. I mean, Jesus Christ, if... There's podcasts out there to talk about empowerment and all this stuff. And they talk about making money. There's comedy podcasts and all those things. But if this one thing I can do, this would be the most important thing I do. If, if one person can communicate the idea into someone else's head. That making a decision to terminate your story. And specifically young people terminate their story here on earth is not the right decision. And then whatever they went through, you can whatever it takes to keep them going, just much like trying to save a life when someone has drowned, where the people never give up and just keep on trying. The things they're going through that are making them contemplate taking the, I don't want to call it the easy way out, but taking their life. The things they're contemplating right now, the things that make them contemplate that will add a richness to their life, will contribute to them later in life. Right? When they get older and you say, I can't believe at this time I seriously considered that can't believe I seriously consider that. I have, <clears throat> and it's misconceptions, and I believe life can be, we make decisions because of misconceptions. I tell people about moving to be happy, picking another relationship to be happy. Happiness is an internal job, meaning your decision, it's a personal decision, I think, most times. And if you kid yourself, you're happy sometimes, but that Illusion of happiness could be enough. 
could be enough. But real happiness is a decision. I believe that. And we, we, things that occur aren't necessarily real. Your brain's interpreting that for you. At one time when I was in my 20s, I was living at home and I was drinking a lot. You know I had a drinking problem. And one day, the screen was off in the back of my house. We had, uh, in Philadelphia, we had a three-story twin home. And the back door to our backyard, the screen door was taken off, and it looked like someone was trying to break in. And my father and I, and uh, at that time, it's just my father, I, and my grandmother. I was in my 20s. You know, I was one of those guys that couldn't fail you to launch, right? We're considering buying a handgun, right? We're considering buying a handgun. Now, years later, I knew I was prone to blackouts. I did not consider I had blackouts, and I'm pretty sure the person that removed that screen was me. We never ended up buying that handgun because the person that was trying to break in the house was me. And I'm thinking that anybody to watch my house probably wouldn't break in because he said, hey, that crazy drunk guy lives there. Why would you want to break in that house? He's six foot four. He's crazy. Yeah, I would have, I could have gotten one of those things if the handgun, my grandmother, may, I don't think she would ever grab the gun. She would have called the cops and hidden her thing. But my dad, you know, you, there's situations where people get scared. They could have ended up doing something because I was unwise and because of my behavior. But things don't always, aren't always as they appear. And if we could tell young people and say, listen, you don't want to treat them like they're little idiots. You don't treat them like they're little idiots. Say, listen, the problem, the real problem is you don't have the experience with a failed relationship. And life is a series of failed relationships. There's some people that stay in one relationship, yes, but that's a rarity. Most people go through multiple relationships. Some go through some, some go through a lot. When I say young, you know, some is few. Some people don't go through any. They live their lives alone. Some people won't even touch them sometimes. And it's horrible. And they continue to live until the day they die a natural death. And you had the opportunity to be in a relationship. You could always make an argument for the reason why someone shouldn't do it. And said, what if the next relationship wasn't, was even better? So, I know. You say, Jim, you're not qualified to do this. Well, I can't. I'm qualified to talk. And that's what people need. They need to talk. And if someone's contemplating that, there's very rarely a thing you could say if you're talking positive that would convince them to do it on top of that. You could either have no effect or you can have a positive effect. I delay it for a day or two. Wait 24 hours. And tell them the next day, wait 24 hours. There's always something you could say. So, and, and when you talk to someone, I, I did deal with one woman. 
who, when I was working in a bar here about 12, uh, 12 years ago, I got called by her, her therapist that she was threatening to hurt herself, to take her life because her boyfriend broke up with her and she had substance abuse issues. And I went and I was listed as her contact, even though we weren't really friends. I drove her and her ex-boyfriend a couple times when they got drunk. I was sober at the time. And I drove them home. And they knew me. And for some reason, she put me down as her contact. And the therapist called my boss. And my boss, who knew the girl too, said, Jim, you got to go. I'll take care of the bar. So I went, spending, I just talked to her. I didn't know what to say. I just stayed there. I took all the um, prescription drugs that weren't hers and took them and threw them out. And, and anything that the, you know, the therapist said. Because the therapist was like 150 miles away or something like that. And I brought her a pack of cigarettes and whatever. She sat and cried and all that stuff. And just sat and listened to her. And they sound like when people are going through that, they could be, you know, sometimes I don't, I, I'm not an expert. But sometimes it works if you let them talk it out and cry it out. Or sometimes you may not be successful, but at least you tried. Just because things aren't successful doesn't mean they were, weren't worthy. They weren't worthy. You know, a couple months ago, I talked about the Warsaw Uprising during World War II, where, um, or the, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. There were two uprisings there, where the Jewish people that were in the Warsaw Ghetto, the Nazis were going to close the ghetto, and they were sending them all to the concentration camp, and they resisted, and everyone died, uh, except the people that escaped through there. But the, the, the ghetto uprising, or the uprising of the, later on that summer of Warsaw, was not successful at the time to repel the Nazis. But some people survived. It was the resistance. It was the attempt that was noble. And we do remember that today. So whatever we can do, we should do it. And we should try. We should not just let it go. We shouldn't stay silent of it. And you got to watch out. The people, their attitudes change. I worry about... I worry about that when I see a young person, when their attitude changes and things like that. You said, please tell me what's bothering you. Tell me. And you just say, listen, I love you. You know you should, could be able to talk to me or talk to someone. Get them to talk to someone. Get them. If they won't talk to you, have someone else talk to them. Have them find, is there anybody that can talk to you? And I don't know. Anytime I get a chance to talk to a young person... Uh, I try to reinforce it some way when there's some, when I see them being a little down on themselves when they say something. And I'm not trying to make myself a better person or anything like that. I'm, I'm not trying to because I I I would feel the I would really feel guilty if I didn't have the op, didn't do anything to to steal their feelings against depression to make sure that it can weather another day. Who knows? This is all I have to say. I'm not promoting the podcast today. I'm not going to label it as a episode. If you want to listen to it, listen to it. I'm going to put it on I'm going to put it on there. Uh, so if you're at to this point, you listen to the whole thing and I'm sorry about that, but I hope it does help.
Thank you very much and have a good day. I'm not going to end it with music. I think that would be kind of, well, maybe I'll play a little low. Just the show, that's the end of the show. Bye.